Hello, Trash Crusaders. Welcome to Minisode 4 of Save Trash Cinema, the podcast where exploitation and exploration come together. It is I, your guide through trash cinema, your favorite dumpster boy, Cayman Darty. And on today's Minisode, we're covering the criminally underrated 2013 Hong Kong horror kung fu film, Rigor Mortis. But before we get into that, let me introduce you to the man. The myth, the mustached Bennett Thompson. Well-placed word, criminally underrated, if that doesn't tell you anything already going into the intro. <laughs> well, like we do on all of the minisodes, we're going to bring to you something just a little weird, a little fantastic, and something you've probably never heard of before. But before we talk too much more about that, let's jump in and do a little quick housekeeping. We'd love it if you rated and reviewed the podcast on your podcast app of choice. Don't forget, you can be on the show by submitting movie recommendations or being a guest by emailing us at savetrashcinema at gmail.com or you can DM us on Twitter at savetrashcinema or on Instagram at savetrashcinema as well. By the way... We also have a Discord server now, mm -hmm. uh, which is incredibly exciting since it's allowing us to hold our first ever STC family movie <sighs> night. How about it? If, you, if you're interested in joining the STC family and watching the 1980s Death Ship, then search for Save Trash Cinema in Discord and join us Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern time for the festivities. That'll now, be fun. You get a little bit to see about how we do what we do and just join us, man. It's, you get your chance. Yeah, and it's a perfect opportunity for you to kind of see the behind the scenes, what we do when we review these movies. You'll get a little bit of shit talking, a little bit of trash talking, and overall, you'll just have an enjoying time with a bunch of trash crusaders. You'll get now, behind the scenes. You'll get to see how all our interns do all the work for us. It'll be brilliant. Man, if we had interns, that'd be fantastic. Well, enough about interns. Let's get the show on the road. An overview of Rigor Mortis. Rigor Mortis is a 2013 horror kung fu directorial debut of Juno Mack and co-written by Mack and Philip Young. Juno Mack has only one other directing credit under his name for an unreleased crime film called Sons of the Neon Knight. It is also important to point out that the film was also produced by veteran J-horror auteur Takashi Shimizu, most famously known for creating Juwan also known in the States as The Grudge. Oh. The film follows a public housing tenement that is plunged into a dark storm of supernatural chaos after the husband of one of the tenants dies under mysterious circumstances and is brought back to life by the enigmatic shaman, Mr. Gao. As ghosts, the undead, and vampires dwell the halls of the tenement, it is up to a disgraced actor and a retired vampire hunter turned chef to quell the darkness and bring peace back to the residents living in their building. Actors Anthony Chan, Siu Ho Chin, Richard Ng, Fat Chung, and Billy Lau all previously starred in the original Mr. Vampire film franchise. The Mr. Vampire uh, franchise started a new wave of Chinese vampire movies in the 80s and 90s. 
Rigor Mortis includes various Easter eggs, cameos, and callbacks to the original Mr. F- Mr. Vampire franchise. Now, the film itself runs for an hour and 43 minutes and is considered fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with a score of 65%. If you're fond of physical media, you can currently purchase the film through Amazon for relatively cheap, but for those of you who enjoy one-and-done streaming, you can find it on, wait for it, <laughs> Tubi! Tubi! Free with ads. Free with ads. With that overview out of the way, though, let's go ahead and get the show on the road. Rigor mortis, everyone. All right. Now, as we do with every mini, so we're going to start off with our initial thoughts. Uh, I know we have a lot of them, so, and we got some limited time. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Bennett, sir. The mustached man himself. Tell me what you think about rigor mortis. The mustache and myself enjoyed this film. He's an hour and 43 minutes long, perfectly timed. It, before we get into the synopsis of the movie, I can give a general landscape of every single shot in this movie was contemplated. This is one of those where I'm surprised this director doesn't have any other credits. Um, Top to bottom, this movie was beautiful, absolutely stunning. The way it's shot, um, I I think a lot of modern action movies can learn a lot from movies like this, where you have a very distinct understanding of time and place, of where people are, of when action scenes happen. You're not confused. It's not a lot of quick cut shots. The camera work in this, absolutely amazing. I I could not say that enough. Each and every shot, and I made it a point to kind of see how many of those were just fillers. There's so many shots, simple transitions that are just so brilliantly well done. It tells the story so well, which is very confusing. And, or, you know, you're not going to lose your mind on it, but this is an unfamiliar territory for American audiences. This is a whole new genre that you're not going to be familiar with. It's going to be familial. You'll, you'll have some understanding and it'll make some amount of sense as far as, you know, your standard boogeyman type thing. But there's, there's a lot of nuance to this that's going to be unfamiliar. And without much exposition, you really do get a story told very well. You're not dumped on with exposition and explaining what you think or what they think you should know about this monster or about how this world works. And you still get a really good grasp and understanding. There's a excellent use of music and the score is magnificent. But The one thing I take away from this so much is it's clean, it's polished, and the shots themselves are so brilliant. There's so many jaw-dropping, like, how did they do that? How did they film that? And to put them all together like that, to tell the story that way, that's that's what blows me away about great film storytelling, is when you don't have to scratch your head and wonder where you are in time and place, or how did that happen? You really get a clear understanding here. The color palette, top to bottom, this movie, this movie slaps, man. Like, I could not believe it. I'm going to be watching this again for years this was a fantastic film i i can't disagree with any of that it's such an interesting movie uh i i just don't like it's one of those movies where and i know we try to cover them on the minisodes especially we want to cover films that are hidden gems things that you might not have heard of and especially like we love to do films that also aren't based out of the united states mainly because let's be honest 
most audiences, especially American audiences, tend not to watch things that are not in English. And so a lot of really good movies are just kind of lost to the wayside because of that. And Rigor Mortis is is one of those movies for me. It's such a, just an interesting piece of work. It is in an action film. It is a it is it's it's a horror film first yeah. and foremost, but it's it's a kung oh. fu movie. And don't get me wrong, like there's there's been action horror films. I mean, probably the most prolific might will probably be Aliens Two, um, or something like Predator. But like those movies lean way more into the action yeah. and less into the horror. This movie does like the opposite. Like you're gonna get way more horror, but then you'll have these incredibly directed fight sequences. Yeah, this um, didn't feel like a kung fu movie, but there's definitely no. some good fu. Like there's oh, some yeah. absolutely great fight scenes, but it's far from the focus of the movie. It just they're good action scenes that need to happen and utilize kung fu, but it's far from a fu movie. It's oh, horror, yeah. man. This is this is a carry fucking movie. I would say this if this movie reminds me a lot of, and this is kind of one of those another hidden gem that one day we'll cover on a mini-sode, but it reminds me of the Nightwatch Daywatch uh, films from director Timur Bekmenbatov, uh, who the name might you might not know, but you know the films Wanted and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Sure. Uh, before he did those movies, he had a series called uh, Daywatch and Nightwatch. Um, they're both released in the early 2000s and are like hyper stylized action horror films um, with more emphasis on horror than action. And that's what you get from this movie. It is an interesting beast and it's on Tubi. So like if you're having a movie night, if you don't know what to put on, like this is a perfect movie to do so. But it's just absolutely riddled with like Chinese folklore about mm -hmm. ghosts and vampires and zombies and all of it is based in traditional Chinese mythology, which is just something you don't see, especially for like an American audience. Like we know, like our interpretation of vampires is from like the Romanian interpretation. Vampires are uh, they're you know, crosses and sunlight and garlic. But in this film, it's it's talismans and it is spells, incantations and glut glutinous rice. Apparently, <laughs> vampires in China do not like glutinous rice. So it is they don't very like that interesting. Rice. It gives you like a very interesting kind of look into Chinese folklore, and that's not something you know. There's a very heavy disinterest or distrust of Chinese in just pop culture or even politics. Everything right now, um, you know, there's like it's kind of, we have like the new Cold War, except instead of it being Russia. We're now it is now China that we've turned our anger towards and blame for a lot of the issues we have in the States. And so, you know, you're not seeing a lot of Chinese films in the States right now. You're just not. And so this is one of those weird ones where, like, you can get access to it. You can watch it and you can learn a little bit about some of their horror lore that they have. And that kind of brings me to, you know, one of our first breakdowns of this episode. And that's story. So, Bennett, tell me what you think about the story of rigor mortis. The story itself is, again, without force-feeding you expedition, which is something we're used to in American film, if you're going to make that that correlation. If you've watched, let's let's just go with like the Marvel movies, right? The comic book movies where it, you're just pummeled with exposition to try to get an understanding of each of these worlds and how things work, um, the Matrix and that world and how, you, you know, 
maybe not from the first movie, but the way you're introduced into that world and just continuously fed exposition. This, obviously, if this, if Jiangxi was familiar to you, um, a lot of this would make a lot more sense. But essentially, you're, we're bridging a gap of a, a familiar type of creature that we're used to in, in our cultures. But there's kind of a blend between a couple of our standards and and then the way that that again they make it very obvious this is just part of their world they're used to the things that they do to protect themselves to shield themselves to fight away these monsters and you're never left scratching your head and saying i wonder why that works you just kind of roll with it like i, I don't know why garlic works on vampires and honestly in most films they teach us that it really doesn't but like here, the, the glutinous rice definitely has an effect, and at least they believe that it does. Right? Mm -hmm. Again, the same thing. If I ran into a vampire on the street, even if I've been taught that garlic might not work, I'm still reaching for you know the purple rose if I've got one handy. There's there's a brilliant telling of this world of enveloping you in their reality of what they face every single day in, in this complex, and you never feel out of place. That's again a kudos to the storytelling, to the writing. Um, you really get enveloped into this world and it leaves you scratching your head. There's some dream states. There's a lot of flashbacks. There's a lot of, I don't really know what's real without being horrifically confusing and saying, I, I need those answers immediately because the story really paces you so well. It's, it's well done. The pacing is good. Again, hour and 45 minutes, guys. But you're, you're never left like waiting for the movie to end. You're, you're being enveloped in this world. They're just completely unfamiliar to you. I was engrossed. Yeah, I mean, the story itself it kind of give a little bit more details to it is that it follows a disgraced actor, which this is where it ties back into that little piece of trivia about Mr. Uh, Mr. Vampire. So Mr. Vampire, from what we know, neither one of us have seen it, but it we're is gonna have on to, my watch right? Like after 100%. this, we're going to have to watch this series to get a better understanding of how thorough these Easter eggs are and how much this really plays. They use a lot of the same actors from these films. Mm -hmm. So there's there's got to be a lot of tie-ins to this. And I would imagine for nostalgic fans of that series, this movie probably hits them in a place that would be maybe unfamiliar to us. Maybe with the people going through Top Gun fandom right yeah. now. Right, all, all the yeah. pan pandemonium. If Top Gun Top was Gun. like a hard R rating, this movie <laughs> yeah. is yes. gory as fuck. Uh, but yeah, so basically, it follows a disgraced actor who has moved into this uh, rundown tenement, and he moves into a room uh, in the tenement that is room two four four tenement. <laughs> I know, uh, and so he moves into this room. And the room is haunted by the apparitions of two ghosts, uh, twin sisters who had twins. They've uh, they've unfortunately surmised to a death in which was not very good, a very bad death, very violent and gory death. And what ends up happening from that point is he we are now introduced into the world of ghosts. From there, the movie kind of shifts, and we we know that the 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 building, this apartment complex is haunted um, and all the residents are kind of dealing it with it in their own ways. Uh, from that point on, one of the, the husband of the seamstress who lives in the building, he, has, uh, he dies due to mysterious circumstance, which he falls down a flight of stairs. Oh boy. So at that point that she, Oh boy, what a fall. And so it's at that point where she reaches out to the shaman in the, the building, Mr. Gal, who's also in Mr. Vampire. He is one of the, from what I can read, is one of the head vampires of the film. So it, it really does play to like him as a villain. Um, and so essentially at that point in the film, he revives the husband into a vampire. 
um, and then all shit breaks loose. Boy, does it. And it goes from zero to 60 like that. Mm. Um, it becomes incredibly violent, incredibly gory, and that's when we get a lot of these really cool kung fu fight scenes that are almost wire foo. Uh, they remind me a lot of the uh, the Ong Bak films, mm. Tony Jaa. Mm. Um, it's a very interesting thing. And so we are very, from the very beginning of the film, we are set up that like this is a horror film. Uh, there are very scary moments in the movie, some some really awesome jump scares um, that don't feel cheap or added on. Like these are really good. There's some very incredible moments where where you know where these characters are dealing with some like supernatural elements that become you know so yeah so you know you, these characters are introduced to some supernatural elements and the story really revolves around that lore and the mythology and like the way they incorporate that into the story is just expertly done um so from and it's like cold open too. You're thrown yeah. into this. Okay, we're in for a roller coaster right from the beginning. It's a very short cold open before you get to the title scene, ending with one of my favorite clips. Just for literally what we're doing right now. Um, one of the quotes was, "People say movies are ridiculous, but sometimes life is even more ridiculous." Title card, like yes, card. we're, we're into yeah. this, man. And and the Love way that, that scene opens, you know, you're in for some shit. You already know it, it just opens in this. It's beautifully filmed. I could get into the chromatography. Well, let's let's move in. It's yeah, brilliant. let's move into the, the acting, Bennett. Um, like with every foreign film, acting is always a little bit suspect because you don't 100 percent know. Like, hey, is this how people really are? Unless you're like immersed in their culture. Now, you can definitely tell with some movies like, oh, yeah, the acting's dog shit here. But in this movie in particular. There's one scene that sticks out to me, and it's after the wife of the dead husband. Um, he gets brought back to life, and at this point, he's more less of a vampire, more of just a corpse that's standing upright. Mm. And there's this scene where the, the oh. camera's just kind of focused on her face as she's like talking to him about, like, are you you told me you're gonna be coming back? You visited me in my dreams and told me you were coming back. Why aren't you eating your food? And it's this like mental breakdown. In the way that the scene, and I don't know if it's the acting or if it's the directing or if it's just a combination of both, but God mm. damn, that was incredible. Yeah. Just like the amount of emotion these characters are going through on, in each individual scene is entrancing. It's 100% a combination of both. You get a really tight frame over the corpse's standing shoulder, looking squarely into her face, which is very well lit. You see... The, the, the fear in her eyes of, of losing her partner and where she is and what this represents to her. Um, real tears. I mean, again, some actors can do it. Some actors can't. The way the tears well up in her eyes before they come down her cheeks is can't fake that. You really feel the impact of what she's going through, of the mental turmoil over, I know this is wrong, but I must because this is my love and I'm not ready for him to be gone yet. And we live in this world where these things are possible, but I know the risks and I'm terrified, but I, I'm more terrified of living without him. It all comes through with very little dialogue other than what she's saying to this non-responsive corpse. And you see it so much in her face and her acting, which is very well lit, very close up. Brilliantly done scene. Well acted, well shot. The combination of both make it an unforgettable moment. True. Moving on to the music portion of the, mm. the movie, Bennett. What did you think about the music? I 
I don't know. It was I? I don't. I'm not gonna say I dislike the music. There's just not a lot of it. It's not much music. It's more of a score, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more. There's a lot of strings, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of sound. Again, this is one of those movies that uses sound brilliantly well. And when I usually say that, that often includes silence. Uses silence brilliantly well. There's not a big score. There's certainly nothing that earwormed. Right. No, there's no musical piece that I'm, I'm just left as as the theme to this movie. But there's definitely a score there. And again, that builds the tension that moves the scenes that really helps develop a lot of these scenes, especially through the transitions. That's some of the things that I wrote down is how the score helps transition between scenes and flashbacks and what's real and what's not uh, that it's really driven by what you're listening to by the score. And, you know, you're, you're not going to listen to Material Girl in the background or anything like that. In this film, I true. can tell you that much. Yeah, there's definitely the there's and that's true. Like there's no real there's I think only one scene in the movie where there's an actually a song playing. And the way that it works is like our our main character, the disgraced actor, he visits the the former the retired vampire hunter and he gets into his home and they're having dinner. And like he notices like that there are ghosts in his homes. And it's like a really cool scene. And the way that they kind of do the ghost work in this movie is really interesting. This is very much worth checking out for just that alone. But like a record comes on in the background. That's like the only time we actually have like a song, a traditional song played during the movie. And it's used very well. But like you said, a lot of it is scores, all strings, ambient noises, ambient sounds. And especially towards the end of the movie, when the action starts to ramp up a little bit more and we get some more, um heated segments like you hear like just screeching violins and cellos and like the way that they utilize the score works really well because in these like very quiet moments it like it it gives you like a sense of ease mm-hmm. and then when something really big happens like that's the score cranks up and you're like in it, you know it pulls you to the edge of your seat and like that's how in my head that's how music should be used in a film like this like if you were putting on some like you know, rock music during the fight scenes. I don't think I would have enjoyed it nearly as much. No, it, like, it sets the tone. Yeah. And, and the score itself really does set an eerie tone. It puts you at ease when it needs to. It brings you, it, it really sets you up for the scenes that are upcoming when it becomes darker and more mysterious. But sound is such a critical part of this film. Um, and and you're right, with, with anything that would be interjected in there that would earworm into your brain and be left there, I think would have done a disservice to how the movie is paced. You really get engrossed into this world. And with something like that, it would pull you out. Yeah, I agree. But moving on to probably the most important part of that, I think at least for this movie is the directing. And I can say first and foremost, the fact that uh, Juno Mock only has one movie currently released under his name. Absolutely. Yeah. And this movie came out, nine years ago to the day or not to the day, but nine years ago from when we're recording this. Um, holy fuck. Like this movie is incredible visually. Yeah. It is stunning. There are twisting, like twisting Dutch angles that'll make your head spin. There's like scenes of like characters, like just like close ups and like pan out shots and like rounding corners and everything about this, like just leads to the sense of just eerie, supernatural, almost ethereal feeling. Um, every shot is like that. And it is. It's, it's so crafted. pro, man. It is Whoa. so 
throw. Again, I say this, I'm repeating myself, but every single shot feels like it took time, effort, and energy. That and it's translated really well. The 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 transitions, the Dutch tilts, the wide shots, you really get a sense of space in these larger sets. You you understand exactly where you are. There are definitely some rooms that are heavily cluttered, but you don't get lost. So much of that is done to the, there's a lot of overhead shots and downward vertical shots. There's tons of tilting. The transitions are some of the things that I, I, I can't wait to rewatch this movie because the way this movie paces itself and moves between these shots, each of them are critically important. The little montages, the mini montages are, are so brilliantly executed. You know exactly what everybody's doing and why in short, you know, three to five second bursts that each of them feel critically important. And it tells that mm. story in a way that feels so seamless. The directing in this movie, the DP, I mean, very loud golf clap for the two of them. It's it's so brilliantly done. I can't get over that. I can't stress it enough. It's so well done. It, it really is. And and like I point back like to Timor and be like, yeah, it's reminds me a lot of this like also hidden gem Russian series of films. But also like there's moments that when I'm watching it, I'm like, this feels like Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Like sure some of these shots feel like have that fantasy feel that he does so well. And like professional. It feels, it feels yeah. clean. Oh it yeah. Feels it is polished, incredibly polished film and just artfully done. Like I it can't feels big budget. It, it now $15 million Hong Kong dollars. I did the translation. It's about 2 million. I could be wrong. Google could be wrong. I should say, but like, it feels like it had a massive, massive budget. This movie looks, feels, sounds very professional. The acting is very professional. Um, the translation between, I watched the dubbed edition, okay? Mm. So I watched the dubbed edition with subtitles on. There's definitely some disconnect where you're like, okay, somebody translated the script and somebody wrote the dubbing that they did for the acting for the dubs. And they're two completely different people that went to two completely different schools for how they translated this movie. It's not just comical. I wouldn't even say comical, but it's certainly different, right? There's there's a different tone to what I'm reading versus what I'm hearing. And again, it's a big reason why I'm very much looking forward to seeing it again. But it, it's such a really promising professionally done movie we 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 like to say for for here for save trash cinema purposes we want to find movies like this that you might absorb that you wouldn't have otherwise that are actually really worth your time and watching not always you know samurai cop where it's just comical how bad it is this is one of those I, I, this is a fantastic movie I, i'll say that again and again this movie is so well done it feels big budget it feels like it's done by somebody who's got years and years and tons of movies under their belt to find out it was done by somebody with no other credits uh absolutely blows my mind because this movie is so polished i agree i agree well moving on to the final segment at the end of every mini so we ask the question does this movie help save trash cinema or does this movie can trash cinema? And so we asked the question, Bennett, and I know this one's going to be a weird one because is it trash cinema? Is it trash? Yeah. Is this trash? I wouldn't call this trash. I'd just call this a fucking good movie. So the reason that, that I, I wanted to do this movie in particular for save trash cinema for the mini sode is like we said previous, and I don't want to be redundant, but we like to pull movies that, you probably have never seen before. You probably have never heard before, but they're movies that you should watch nonetheless. 
And with this movie in particular, why I think that it's important to include it in Save Trash Cinema is because this movie harkens back to the old days of Japanese and Chinese cinema where we would get movies like the Kung Fu Zombies, like Shaolin vs. Evil Dead, Shaolin vs. Evil Dead 2, Kung Fu Zombie, Kung Fu from Beyond the Grave, and we're going to eat you. <laughs> and so, Or also Mr. Vampire. And so... It, there are very much elements there that remind me a lot of some of these older films, especially like Shaolin versus the Evil Dead or one of my personal favorites, The Human Lanterns, uh, which is just a really cool Shaw film. It was one of their only horror films they did, but it was a kung fu horror film. And so there are a lot of elements and it really does kind of dive into this world of like these old school kind of films that you don't see that were more prevalent in the 80s and you know 70s, 80s, early 90s. Um, so I do think that it is. It's like an homage to the, that kind of heyday of the horror action film. And so I personally think this movie helps save trash cinema. And, and maybe one day it will get the respect it's due. And if it does, maybe we'll start to see more movies like this. I mean, we have um, one of my personal favorites of all time which is The Night Comes for Us, which is very much an action film that is a horror movie. It is a horror movie. Um, and so, we, you know, hopefully if people latch on to a film like this and start clamoring and start doing a campaign, I'm sorry, but if we have the ability, Twitter has the ability, to turn Morbius into a joke called Morbin Time, and that gets Sony to re-release it to bomb at the box office again, then we should, we have the voice and the power to convince more directors to release more films like this. And so I think personally that with enough fanfare and push behind trash crusaders like us and the listener, we could potentially get more movies like this. And I think that that would do Hollywood and do cinema a justice. What do you think, Bennett? I would love more movies like this, but I wouldn't want them to translate to Hollywood. I wouldn't want Hollywood to redo this. Like we, we you mentioned The Grudge. And we've seen how their grudge translated to the current, at the time, popular actors and actresses and, and made it very Hollywood. And The Ring, you know, the, it's not that they're bad movies, but their original counterparts, to me, are, are just more excellent um, because they're not translated. I, I don't think I'd want Hollywood to jump into Zhangxi and to try to tackle this. I would rather see it stay there and just get more people to to see these films, to increase their exposure. I'm afraid that once Hollywood got a hold of it, it'd be Chris Pratt and Tom Cruise and and big, you know, Kenny Loggins in the background and, uh, you know, just this fantastic, and I don't think we get the, the understanding. I think we get a lot more expedition through that storytelling. Um, I, I think it'd be more Michael Bay than it would be more, I wouldn't even say this felt indie, but, you know, it doesn't have this, this big pompous Hollywood circumstance to it. It has this really dark city, but super professional horror vibe to it that I just don't know that we could get away with here in, in Hollywood. The, the gore is fantastic. The amount of <laughs> trying not to give too much away here. If you don't like blood and black vomit and like some weird shit, you're not going to like this movie, but if you do, this is right down your alley, man. And in droves, and that's something that I just, we don't see from modern American horror films too much. I don't think I'd like the transition. Um, would I watch it if they tried? Sure. 
but I'd want to keep this in house and see more of it. I'd want to see more coming from from them and more in the series. We know, as we talked about Mr. Vampire, that that went through a series in the 80s during that heyday. I would love to see a sequel to this. I would love to see more of this world of the Zhangji where uh, people are aware that vampires exist and there are ways to protect yourself and battle them and what to do in circumstances and um, you know, just, just dealing with circumstances of life and death when it's not exactly permanent, when those rules are really well known and made clear to them. I, I don't want that Hollywood bastardization. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I, I think for me, like, I think a movie like this, not a remake, not a remake, definitely not a remake, but a remake. more movies in the vein of this, uh, you know, you have Gareth Edwards who did the split, you know, splendorous, uh, Apostle that was released on Netflix. Uh, mm-hmm. He also handled Raid 1 and 2, which were both incredible movies. Like, doing something with a smaller budget, like, you know, they did with this movie, which is probably with inflation about four or six million dollars now, made this movie US mm-hmm. dollars. God. And so, you know, I think... How much of that went it, to the cast? We know these guys were superstars back in the 80s. I'm just, yeah. I'm fascinated by that low dollar yeah. amount. This movie I mean, has so much polish. But like something like Shudder or, you know, Netflix or even Amazon, like releasing a film, IFC Midnight could pick up a movie like this and it would be able to retain that personality that it it does so well that, like you said, big budget Hollywood films just lack. And it's because you have a thousand people like all these middle aged dudes sitting in a room. And they're like, is this movie going to make it? If, if we add a someone's someone's arm getting torn off, is, is that going to get us? Is that going to get us a budget? Like, are we going to get people that are actually going to sit through it? No. Like, look, if David Cronenberg can still release a movie, which he's releasing one this year, oh. then like we 100 percent could get more movies like this. And I stand by that. I and this, stand should, this should be on that. Shutter. You know, this this yeah. has the spit and polish that you want from a movie service that you pay for. Um, and that's, you know, made for Americans. It covers a lot of international ground. That's part of what I get the most value out of Shutter from. This belongs on Shutter. This is one of those really highly well done movies that if it came out as a Shutter exclusive, I'd be like, yeah, this this is what you pay for, man. This is worth it. Cheers to that. And and here's to hoping the Juno Max film that's apparently just been hanging out forever <laughs> uh, does officially come out. God, I would. I would love to love to see it, but that concludes our final thoughts. That concludes whether or not we wanted to save it, which I think both of us very much made it clear. Save we it. Were Watch this movie, save man. It. Watch it. And if you've enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and share the hell out of it with your friends and loved ones and worst of enemies. Honestly, word of mouth is key here. We aren't beggars. Also, fuck Keith. Fuck Keith. Also, please. If you're interested in video games, check our sister podcast, the Spotlight Games Podcast, on all your favorite streaming services. We also have a YouTube channel, so don't be a heathen and watch his banter about video games there as well. In the meantime, you can follow me at Kid Cayman or our sister podcast at Spot Games Pod on Twitter and Spotlight Games Podcast on Instagram. Unfortunately, once again, you cannot follow Bennett on pretty much anything because he's a regular. So I got an email from Twitter this morning with notifications right before we got into this little chat. And I forgot, I even forgot my Twitter handle. I do have a Twitter handle. I'm Bologna cheese. Okay. I can't say what made me do that. This I think was maybe during college, maybe a little after, but I do have a Twitter handle and it's Bologna cheese. 
Okay, well, then you can follow him at Bologna Cheese. If you, if do, you I want to be, <laughs> if you want to be part of the show, whether it be a guest host or heavy movie recommendation, you can reach us at SaveTrashCinema at gmail.com or SaveTrashCinema on all socials. Once again, I just want to remind you, we do have a Discord channel, so please, please follow us there. Jump in, be part of the community with fellow Trash Crusaders. Remember, fight big box office, save Trash, trash Cinema. cinema.